The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. We are going to be in the book of Genesis, and here at Pillar Bible Fellowship, we take books of the Bible and we just preach through the sections. In this case, we were taking a larger section. When we first decided to go after Genesis, we knew that there would be some portions of Genesis that we would tackle in some big chunks. So it's, it's not as slow of a pace. I'm not going to go verse by verse through this. We're going to touch on the themes of Genesis 40 and most of Genesis 41 as we get going here. So welcome. Please make yourselves at home and let's worship the Lord together in going into his word. So the focus... The focus of the passage we have before us today is the man Joseph, who finds himself in a trial. Joseph finds himself in a trial, a trial that stresses his mind, stresses his body, and potentially even could stress his faith in God as he sits there in this prison. For Joseph is being held in a type of prison, it's called a pit. He's being held there, and he's been put there without committing any offense that would actually cause him to to need to be there. In large part, he's innocent, and yet he's serving out that sentence. And we're not going to just gloss over the the trial aspect of his life, because we all go through trials, and so we are going to touch on that for sure. But as well as trials that we have, we also walk along the trials of others as they're going through life. A lot of times God uses us to come alongside them in their trials to go through with them. But more applicable, I believe, is the manner, the manner in which Joseph walks, the manner in which he lives his life. You see, he's a man who is submitted to God. Joseph has submitted himself to God, and he's trusting God And he's trusting him here in this certain place, going through a certain trial. And he's he's ready to continue walking in faith as long as it's required of him. And he's going to do this as he's going through this particular trial. Each trial by faith. And when I put these aspects together, submitted to God and walking by faith... What we have is really what's going to carry us through the the whole passage today. Being submitted to God and and walking in faith, it's giving us a succinct and helpful main idea to carry us through the whole passage. Submit yourself to God and walk by faith through every trial. Submit yourself to God and walk by faith through every trial. This is how we're going to go through the passage. I'm going to start with the faithful prisoner, the faithful in prison. This is how we're going to start our look at this passage today. So first, I'll just ask, where is Joseph physically? Where is he located? Where is he currently at? Well, he's in a prison in Egypt. Seth preached last week through Genesis 39. 
Joseph was falsely accused of doing something in Potiphar's house with Potiphar's wife, and the master of that house was very angry and had Joseph thrown into prison. So physically, Joseph is in prison. He's in prison. It's called a pit. And in verse 15 of our passage, it's described as a pit. But where is Joseph in terms of his mental state, or really where his heart is at in, in, as he's going through this trial while he's sitting in prison? How is he accepting of being in a pit and being there unjustly? It's an important aspect of our passage today. So again, at the end of last week, when we were finishing up Genesis 39, we saw that the Lord was with Joseph, just as he had been with Joseph in the good times, He's also with Joseph here in prison, and even as he's serving the prison of the, the, basically the keeper of the prison, the Lord's hand is upon him, and he's have, he has favor as he's in the prison. In fact, Joseph was so trustworthy at the end of the last passage that similar to Potiphar, the keeper of the prison basically said, if, if I've trusted Joseph with something, I, I have no more concern. Joseph is that trustworthy that he can just take it, and I don't, have to worry my, I don't have to be worried about anything. If it's in Joseph's care, it's good. So then, in the passage that's before us, we see that not only that, that Joseph is capable, because we're going to see that he's very capable, just as I just mentioned, but he also is very compassionate. So he's not only capable of taking any task that's given to him, but he's able to render compassion and, and care and kindness to fellow prisoners. This is hard to fathom. Think about it. It's a man who's falsely accused. He's placed in prison. He's locked into a prison. He's so diligent with everything he's entrusted with. And then on top of that, he's compassionate towards his fellow, fellow prisoners that are thrown into prison with him. And you see that compassion in the way Joseph cares for the two prisoners in particular that we get more details about the chief cupbearer, and the chief baker of Pharaoh. We see that in verse 2. He attended to them. In verse 4, it says he attended to them, and he continued to attend to them for some time. He was able to get to know them, is what we, we kind of pick up on from that. There's time allowed, and Joseph gets to know these men. I know that because down in verse 7 of our passage... As he's coming to them, he notices a change in these men. He says, why are your faces downcast today? So that's, that's an inquiry. He, he notices that. He identifies that their faces have changed. And then he speaks forth this word of inquiry. And though we're not going to get into the interpretation of the dreams just yet, we're going to touch on that in a little bit later, we have to notice where Joseph's focus seems to be going most naturally. It goes to God. Because right after asking this question, he gets a response. And embedded in every response Joseph gives throughout our text is this natural inclination towards God. So if you look at verse 8, it says here, They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. So that's their, that's their concern. They are concerned. Like, we have dreams. We're used to having interpretations of these dreams. 
There's no one here to interpret the dreams. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations come or belong to God? So that's where he's going naturally. He asks them what's wrong. They say, we don't have an interpreter for our dreams. And then like the first thing out of Joseph's mouth is, don't the interpretations of dreams belong to God? Okay, so we're going to park on that idea for, for a moment because one of the authors I was reading in preparation for preaching today put it this way. The habit of Joseph's mind was an immediate reference to God. The habit, the, you know, the very things that just came out of his mind habitually was a reference to God. And this isn't isolated either. It's, it's not just a platitude. Sometimes you meet certain people and, and they have to add, like, God bless you to everything as like a platitude. But this is coming out of, out of Joseph's very heart. It's not just a nice thing that he's saying. It's just part of his speech. It's the natural habit of his mind. It's not isolated to just certain instances, but it's consistent. It's consistent throughout our text today, and it's really consistent throughout all of our interactions with Joseph through the rest of the book of Genesis. The habit of Joseph's mind was an immediate reference to God. So I pointed out what we see here in verse 8. He says, interpretations belong to God, to the Lord. But this continues. In verse 16, when asked if he can do interpretations of Pharaoh in the next chapter, he immediately says, it's not of me. He says, it's not of me. But again, that natural habit of his mind, he says, God, it's not of me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. In verse 25, similarly, God has revealed, as he's going through the interpretation in the next chapter, in chapter 41. In verse 28 of chapter 41, he says, God has shown. And then in verse 32, he says, the thing is fixed by God. This is the immediate habit of Joseph's mind to reference everything in relationship to God. Where is he, therefore, returning to my question about his mental state or where his heart's at? Here he is in prison physically, but where is he at? He's centered upon the rock. He's centered upon the rock, which is God Almighty. He knows where he belongs, and that is in God's hand. Whether it's in the pit or in Potiphar's house or standing before Pharaoh, he knows he is centered upon the rock. He knows that the Lord's hand has been upon him. It can't be passing him by that everything he does seems to get, gain favor, whether, again, it's in Potiphar's house or it's working in the prison. The Lord's hand is upon him. The Lord is keeping him. This whole section of Genesis that we're looking at today has, has Joseph as a prisoner. So I want you to keep that in mind as we continue to follow Joseph throughout this passage even when he gets cleaned up, you heard Seth read the passage, we read along, you know, he gets pulled out of prison, he gets cleaned up, new clothes, shave, thrown in front of the king of Egypt, but he's still a prisoner. His sentence hasn't been revoked. He's just there to do a, a duty. The king has summoned him from the pit, but there's nothing saying he's not going back to prison. His status hasn't changed, and it's not going to until the, the section we have set aside for next week's preaching, and we'll get to that. 
And you might be thinking, okay, here's this guy. He's in prison. He's got a heart that is focused upon God. And he doesn't seem to be overly bothered by his circumstances. How is that possible? How is it possible for a person to be in such a situation and not just be bogged down by the fact that he's innocent and he's in prison? Well, this goes back to our main idea. You submit yourself to God, and you walk faithfully through every trial. But it starts with being submitted to God. And notice that this is a full trust, a full trust and confidence in God, and an acknowledgement that through submitting yourself to God and by walking in faith, the circumstances, the trials, they're still going to be there. Those aren't necessarily going away. Your status, though, your relationship with God never changes. So once you're submitted to God, that doesn't mean your trials are removed. It doesn't mean your hardships are gone. What it does, it just it centers you properly in this life, and you say, my gaze is fixed. I know where I'm bound. I belong to God, and he will carry me wherever he needs to take me, through whatever trial of life. Nothing can change the status of being in a relationship with God, the rock. So now the, the real question then should be asked, how do we have this type? How do we obtain this kind of faith? How do we submit ourselves to God in such a manner that we can walk in a similar manner? How do we obtain this kind of faith? For surely, we, we all want to have a faith in God like Joseph's exhibiting. Surely we do. To be submitted fully to the lordship of, of God? Well, we have models given to us in the scriptures. Right here we have Joseph. Joseph is a great model of what it means to walk by faith. But then in the New Testament, we have a similar model in Paul. Paul who was called as one untimely, like afterwards, he's called and he's thrown into the apostleship. And Paul is frequently in prison. He finds himself there quite often. It's one of his favorite hangouts, I think, because he's able to pen letters from prison. He's able to uh, engage with fellow prisoners, able to sing hymns with them. He's fully submitted to God. And if it's in prison or it's out of prison, He's allowed, he allows himself to be used by God. And on numerous accounts, Paul brings this up in the letters that he writes. In Philemon, he's like, I'm, yeah, I'm a prisoner. In Colossians, uh, penning this as a prisoner, he knows that he's still being used by God, even in a prison. And much like Joseph, he's able, able to function well. He's able to function well in such a place because he exhibits a similar faith. He's fully submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in order to walk by faith, submission, therefore, must be examined carefully. So allow me to continue down this path of looking at submission to the one true God, because we have to take this, this journey together. Paul, remember, was actually involved in persecuting Christians 
In Acts chapter 8, he was standing there watching as Stephen, the first martyr that we usually held up as the first martyr of Christendom, he approved those actions. He was zealous to do more and more of that kind of thing. He was obtaining letters to go put more Christians into, into prison. But something changed in Paul's life. Something changed dramatically in Paul's life. What changed was that God chose Paul. God chose Paul to use him as his vessel of mercy to take the gospel to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 9, he, he speaks of that. So what is it that changes a man or a woman on the inside, changes them on the inside, and makes them into a new creation, if you will? What is it that does that, that gives them this desire to submit to God? Well, it's actually a gift from God. It's not something you just well up from within you. It's something that is given to you. It's a gift from God, a work of God carried out by Jesus. Jesus Christ does this work. He is the one who chooses whom he chooses to carry out his kingdom purposes. And it is God who chooses whom he chooses to be in his kingdom. It's a gift. For God is sovereign, and so when he chooses, he, div- he chooses with divine perfection. He makes no mistake those who belong to him. In both cases, whether it's Joseph in the Egyptian prison or Paul in the various prisons and trials that he went through, these men had a focus that was upon the Lord. That's where their focus was. And because of that, Joseph was able to show compassion. He was able to show compassion to his fellow prisoners. Similarly, Paul, like I said, was able to really embrace where he was at, sing hymns even. There's pictures of him singing hymns within the, in the scriptures. And then the Philippian jailer, like there's one of these miraculous jailbreaks. God allows the, the, the door to swing open and the Philippian jailers, he's just sure that he's a goner because the prisoners are probably all gone. But no, Paul shows compassion on the jailer and ends up leading him and his family to Christ. It's a gift. This is a gift from God to be brought into such a relationship with God that you want to submit yourself to him, that you want to walk through every trial by faith. And your trial may not involve prison. Your trial may not involve chains. But don't be lulled into a sense of complacency because even here in the Western church, The United States is part of the Western church. This is happening more and more where pastors and faithful followers of Christ are being locked up for what they believe. But your trial may be facing persecution in your workplace. Your trial may be facing persecution or resistance from your own family. Your family member maybe is becoming increasingly hostile towards you because of your ongoing profession of Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. They might be coming uh, hostile towards you because you keep proclaiming the truth, that Jesus is the the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one is able to, to go to the Father except through him. 
And your family member's like, I'm done. I'm tired of hearing you say the same thing over and over. No matter where your trial might be, the solution is the same. Submit yourself to God and walk by faith through every trial. For he will never leave you nor forsake you. So do not be afraid or dismayed. As we start in this, this first section, this faithful in prison, Joseph is faithful in prison. He's a representative of, of one that is faithful in a trial. Really, Joseph had been through his share of trials already. He'd been through his fair of trials. The whole brothers thing back in uh, Canaan, that was a trial. What about the incident back in Potiphar's house where he's falsely accused of doing something to Potiphar's wife and then the master of the house throws him into prison? That's a trial. And the trials in Joseph's life, Joseph's life aren't going to cease. Even when he gets put in charge by Pharaoh next week, his trials will not cease. They are going to continue. But what we must realize, brothers and sisters, that The Christian life is a life given over to witnessing the good news. And that means we witness faithfully. We witness faithfully even if it is before powerful rulers or people of high authority here in this land, the power brokers of our time. As we move forward, we're going to go now to the faithful recognized before God. The faithful recognized, I'm sorry, not before God. The faithful recognized before a king. So I'm, I'm speaking of how Joseph's going to be brought out of this pit, as we read about, and he's going to be brought before a king, you know, an earthly king, Pharaoh. After we saw in the last section why Joseph was able to sit in prison and still show compassion and care and even excel at all of the tasks that he was given, We're now going to see how the Lord equips people as he chooses and how he equips them well. Think about it. When Joseph was sold as a slave by his brothers, taken down into Egypt, he could have been purchased by anybody, but he wasn't purchased by anybody. God was doing an equipping work in Joseph's life by having Potiphar, this official, this official in Pharaoh's kingdom, buy him. And put him into service. So now Joseph is in this household, and all he knows is, oh, this is, this is how you relate to an official. He's being trained up. He's being equipped by God, even as a slave in Potiphar's house. And he excels there. God is doing an equipping work. He's, he's blessing Joseph. Joseph found favor there. The Lord's hand was upon him. And so he was being equipped. Do you ever think of that when you're going through a trial? You're like, I don't want to be here, but maybe God is actually doing an equipping work in my life through this trial. A lot of times we don't recognize it in the middle of it. It's not until afterwards that we look back and say, actually, I learned quite a bit through that. As I was submitting myself fully to God and walking by faith through every trial, God was being faithful to me and equipping me for whatever he has next whatever he has in store. Joseph was being equipped. And equipping is hard work. And even when we're not in a trial, a lot of times we submit ourselves to training, uh, 
Grace is back from college. She's submitting herself to training in college. Some of us are involved in athletics. There's training involved. It's hard work. You don't just get to go to the game and, and be you know, put in first string. It takes hard work. I was listening to a speaker recently, and he was saying how he'd invested so much time in building up this avatar in some game that he was playing. He'd spend hours upon hours, and it was this and he was, a, he was a male speaker, but he said, I had a female avatar, and she was like a, this massive dragon slayer and all these, you know, fi- and you could shoot fire. I don't know. I, but he was saying how he's putting all this time and effort into this. And then one day, he realized it's nothing. That can do nothing. And he just stopped. He just walked away like cold turkey and said, I'm going to actually invest my time, even if it's going to be slow and prolonged, in learning real skills, learning how to actually engage with people, whether it's, uh, again, through something th- through school or just learning how to communicate better or sport, but something that is tangible. So I thought that was really a, a, just a good illustration of, well, how are we going through the equipping work? Are we doing the effort? Are we submitting ourselves to God and saying, God, use the time that I have in, in a meaningful way? Not in a wasted time, but in a meaningful way. We can see through our passage that God is doing that work in Joseph's life. He has him in prison, and that's a training ground. You might be like, how's that a training ground? Well, that's where God had him, and he was faithfully following God there. God brought men to him that he was able to show compassion to. And again, he brings officials. So it's not just just any run-of-the-mill prisoner, he's brought officials of Pharaoh. So he already spent time in Potiphar's house. Now he's got the chief cupbearer and the chief baker that are brought to him. And, he said, and he's told, attend to their needs. Get to know these people. Take care of them. He's being equipped. He's being equipped by God to eventually go before one even more powerful, their boss, Pharaoh. I don't know what your preconception might be of a cupbearer or a baker. You might think, well, they're just the kitchen help. The cupbearer had a special position to the king and the baker. They provided the king with his food, his sustenance. They were trusted individuals in the household of the king. And because of what they did, they had close access to the king. So they would hear all, all the advisors coming in and briefing the king and telling him what's going on in the land. And they would be there consistently throughout time. And so they become these trusted men in Pharaoh's life. And even though the chief cupbearer isn't reinstated yet in this portion of the text, that's going to come into play. And we're going to see how important that is for Joseph's eventual uh, being brought forward and put before Pharaoh himself. So as Joseph serves in the prison, a lowly job, he's being equipped by God. He attends to the needs of the chief cupbearer, the chief baker, cupbearer, and, and this continued for some time, it says in verse four. But now as they're together for some time, the relationship has to be built. Relationships over time get built up to a sufficient enough level, whatever that timing was, the Lord directs all things in his time, that when these two men have their dreams, 
And there's a theme of dreams that's inescapable in Joseph's life. It's not new, because if you remember back before he was sold into slavery, the thing that made his brothers really upset was that he told them about his dreams and that how everyone was going to be bowing down to him in Genesis 37. He had two dreams, and both times his brothers and then his parents were involved, and they said, now get out of here, kid. We're not going to be bowing down to you. We're not going to explore that here, but keep it in mind because it will come back again in our story as we go through Genesis. But here, Joseph in the prison notices that the faces of these men is downcast, and they inform him of their dreams and their disturbances of not having an interpreter. So I just have to pause here for a moment because it's an important point that we we don't always know how God is going to use us. Up until this situation, we don't know that Joseph knows how to interpret dreams. It's not given. I mean, we have some indication that he has a pretty good idea that his dreams are powerful and that they're going to mean something someday, but this is the first time dreams are brought to him. And he even says to them, like, God's the one that brings forth interpretations. But we have to be ready. When God puts something before us, we have to be ready to, to see what he's about to do. Sometimes we can see certain patterns in our life and say, yeah, I know God's probably equipping me for a certain uh, way of serving others. Other times it's a little bit out of the blue. It's just the person is put before you and they start talking. And you're left like, okay, this person is sharing something detailed about their life right now. And the only thing I can think of to do is to pray with them. And so you pray with them. That's how God has equipped you, and you're stepping forward in faith, and you're meeting that need. And later you find out that's exactly what was needed just then. It was for you to be faithful right there and to to pray. It goes back to the main point of our sermon today. You submit yourself to God, and you walk faithfully through every trial. Ready to respond to the Lord's prompting, however it might come. And here is Joseph. He's responding. He's going to respond to these men that are before him. He says, why are your faces downcast? This is out of an understanding. He understands who they are. He sees that their faces are, are downcast. And this is completely foreign to like a Hollywood scene of a, a prison yard. Like, in, like one of those Hollywood scenes, it's all tough guys. Like you wouldn't even look someone in the eye. He's asking them like, well, why is your face downcast? So it's not Hollywood. This is This is God working through Joseph in this Egyptian prison. He's being faithful where he's at. And I would encourage you that you would uh, be willing to do likewise, not forcefully trying to pry into someone's life, but that preparatory work that's being done to build up the relationship that allows you to know someone well enough to ask a good question and to listen. So important that we listen. When you ask a question, listen to what's being said. Listen to the response. And their response is, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. Joseph responds rightly. Even as Daniel responded rightly when he was asked to do an interpretive work in Daniel chapter two, and that right response is, interpretations belong to the Lord. It's not of me. Joseph continues once he states that with an entreaty, he says, please 
tell me your dreams. Tell them to me. He just says they belong to God, but I'm the one here, so go ahead and tell them to me. Now, in Joseph's situation, the the Lord reveals these interpretations to him. He steps forward in faith, and these these interpretations are revealed to him, and we know that he has the right interpretation because prophetically, these dreams come true. God shows that they are true interpretations. He interprets the cupbearer's dream first, the cupbearer. The cupbearer sees the vine, and it's, it's three days, but then he takes the grapes and he squeezes them into the cup, and Joseph says, this is good for you. You're gonna be reinstated. You're gonna be able to once again have your position back And you're going to be, once again, in Pharaoh's service. It's a favorable, it's a a favorable interpretation. And all Joseph asks for in verse 14 is that the cupbearer would remember him. Please remember, when you go back to your position before Pharaoh, please remember me. And even maybe talk to the Pharaoh, you know, drop a good word, see if you can't get me out of here because I'm not here on anything wrong that I've done. I'm, I'm here as an innocent man. I was actually stolen out of my homeland, and now I'm in prison. Now, Chief Baker, verse 16, he saw that the interpretation was favorable, so he proceeds to tell Joseph, to, you know, tell, he tells him his dream, thinking, well, it worked out pretty well for the cupbearer, not the same outcome for the Chief Baker. Joseph interprets it as well, and the outcome is markedly different for the baker. That emphatic, even as Seth was reading, that like off with his head, emphatic aspect. Your head's going to be lifted off. There's an exclamation mark in your, in your Bibles to, to show that there's a, a difference there. It's not just an elevating, like there was an elevation of the cupbearer, but this, this elevation of the baker, it's like, his head is going to be off. He's going to be impaled upon a pole or hung upon a tree. He's going to be executed. He's going to be punished for, to death for the offense that he had against the, the Pharaoh. And think about that for a moment. Both of these officials, both of them, the cupbearer and the baker, offended Pharaoh. They offended him so much that he threw them into prison. We're no different. We're no different than the cupbearer. We're no different than the baker. We have all offended holy God with our sin. And for, for we know all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This was all through faith, a gift of God. And it's a mystery. Church, this is a mystery to think about, that some are set aside for this experience, this rich mercy but it's also a mystery that some will never know it. And that mystery is one that belongs to God fully. It is only God who understands rightly and perfectly how that mystery works because he has perfect justice. 
We are simply to be humble and submit ourselves to God and to walk faithfully through every trial. These two officials, they had their their dreams interpreted by Joseph. God did this through his servant. He did it through Joseph. He, He asked to be remembered, but as chapter 40 starts to transition over to chapter 41, that memory of the cupbearer wasn't very long because it says he didn't remember. He didn't remember him for at least two years. Joseph remains in prison for another two years before the cupbearer remembers the young Hebrew. It's all in God's perfect timing. All in God's perfect timing. This is such a hard thing to recognize and embrace while we're waiting, isn't it? Because we have to wait so often for things. We're like, why am I having to wait so long? But then you get on the other side and you're like, I see why. God's perfect timing wasn't back then. It was right now. Looking back, we can see God's timing is always perfect. It is always perfect. And this is the situation with Joseph too. No different. If he would have been sprung from prison immediately, then he would have not been where Pharaoh needed him to be at the right time. Who knows where he would have gone? But two years later, the time was right. It was two years later when God's time was perfect, when everything was needed and the position was just right for the king to have his dreams, for the Pharaoh to have his dreams that then needed an interpreter. So he was left in the pit until the time was right. That time was after Pharaoh's dreams, which disturbed him greatly. It says in verse 8 of chapter 41 that he was troubled. After he had these dreams, he was greatly troubled and distressed. And these dreams that we read together from the scriptures were the same. That's what it says, that they were basically the same dream. When Joseph does go into his interpretive work, that these were the same. They were showing the same thing. But while Pharaoh is waiting for Joseph to come on the scene, he tries all of his normal avenues of approach. Call the magicians, call the wise men, and I'm going to have them work on interpreting this dream. And in Exodus, the the Pharaoh then does the same thing 400 years later in chapter 7 of Exodus. Call the magicians, call the wise men. Not necessarily for dream interpretation, but just to put into service. All the standard worldly ways of trying to solve a problem. But the poor cupbearer, he's in close proximity to the king. Remember, he has that access. He knows what the king's drinking. He makes sure it tastes good. It's not going to kill the king. He's there, and he's hearing all this. He's hearing this exchange Another magician comes in, I can't, I can't do it, I don't know what to do. Another wise man, I, I'm, I don't know what to say. And so the cupbearer is kind of put into this fear of man conundrum because if he's going to bring up Joseph, he has to also bring up, remember two years ago when I made you really upset, I offended you, and you thought it was better for me to be in prison? Well, when I was in prison, I actually met a guy who interpreted my dream. So he, he, he runs the risk of, reminding Pharaoh of why he was so mad with the cupbearer in the first place. What's it to him if the dream doesn't get interpreted? He could just let it just sit there. But that's not what God's plan is. God is orchestrating all of these things 
And so the cupbearer says, there was this guy I met back in prison when you threw me in there two years ago. He knew how to interpret dreams. He was a young Hebrew. He was a young Hebrew, and he knew what he was doing in the interpretation of dreams. So God, who's ordaining all these things, all these events in his perfect timing, brings this news to the Pharaoh through the cupbearer. And the cupbearer is, is immediately uh, told, go get that guy. I want him. And Pharaoh makes a decree. He says, I want that young Hebrew, and I want him here now. What that means is whoever has to go get Joseph has to get him clean clothes, make sure he has a place to change, get him, get him some shaving material, get him spruced up, because he's going before the king. He's going from the pit to the opulent and and uh, basically before the throne room of the king of Egypt. This is all happening very quickly in God's timing. It's a flurry of activity. I'm sure Joseph was caught very by surprise. He's probably just tending to whoever's there, doing his job in prison, and then he's being summoned. Here, change, shave, you're going before Pharaoh. No, your sentence isn't being removed. You just have to do something for the king. And Christians, we have to realize life can be like that for us sometimes. Doing one thing, God says, no, it's time for you to do something else. It's time for you to be faithful right where I put you. Right where I put you, you better be faithful. Part of being faithful is trusting God's word. And God's word says we're not to overly worry, not to be anxious Jesus gives this instruction to uh, those that he's teaching. In Matthew chapter 10, he says, don't worry. If you're getting pulled before the magistrates, getting pulled before the governors or the kings, I'll provide you with what you need to say. Trust the Holy Spirit to guide you in that time. And it's going to happen. It'll happen to you suddenly. You'll be placed in a situation when, like I said before, you'll, you'll have to pray for somebody. And you weren't expecting that. Or you have to speak a word of truth. You have, to, you have to. You know you have to. Or it's time for you to share your faith. You thought you could wait a little longer, but no. Now's the time to share your faith. But God will guide you in that time. Be submitted to him and allow him to guide you, and he will guide you. It's not your doing. It's not your strength. It's, it's the Lord that will carry you along. It's the Holy Spirit that will provide you with everything you need in that moment. That's what happens with Joseph, thrown before the king of Egypt. And that's why he answers the way he does. If you look in 41, verses 15 and 16, Pharaoh, you know, he, he brings this guy before him and he says to Joseph, I have heard a dream, or I'm, excuse me, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. It is not in me. That's the truth, semicolon. It's not in me. It's not in me. But he continues, God. You remember that habit of his mind? God. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So this is now Joseph taken out of the pit thrown right before the king, and he preemptively states 
Uh, hopefully you're following this, and I, I want to draw it out a little bit. He states that the Lord will do what the Lord's going to do. And he's saying that to the one who's in control of the whole land. Pharaoh probably thinks he's supreme, sovereign over all things. And here's this Hebrew slave, prisoner, who says, it's God that's going to do this. Pharaoh, you can say all you want, but it's God who's in control. You might think you're king, you might think you're in control, but ultimately if there's going to be an interpretation to this dream, it's because God is going to will it to be. And he's saying, basically, Pharaoh, you too need to be submitted to God if you want this interpretation. So bear that in mind. If you are thrown before a magistrate, someone of of high importance, of power, God will lead you in that time. God is sovereign over all people. He's over the president of our country, over a president of another country. Any high authority, God is in control. He is sovereign. But now back to Pharaoh and Joseph. So a reminder of the dreams. We read about it in the scripture reading. There's these cows and there's these ears of grain. So the cows and and the ears of grain, the text says in verse 25 that they're one dream. They're the same thing. Joseph proclaims that the seven fat cows are seven years of good production and that the seven good ears are... Are, uh, are, are also seven good years of production. Likewise, the seven gaunt cows, those ugly cows, cows that have never been seen in the land of Egypt, are seven bad years of production. And those blighted and, and ugly uh, stalks of, with grain on them, those are seven bad years where famine is going to come upon the land because of this strong east wind that's going to blow through. So now... This is the interpretation. This is what's given. And I want to stop us right here because realize this is all Pharaoh wanted. What did he ask for? I want someone to interpret my dreams. I want someone to come and tell me what these dreams mean. And Joseph was summoned. He came. He said, it's not in me. It'll be of God. And he provided exactly what Pharaoh wanted. Joseph was brought before the king, recognized as the one possibly to do this, He says, if the Lord wills it, it will be done. And then in verse 28, it says, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The interpretation is complete. 29 and 31 kind of rounds it out. In verses 29 through 31, it rounds out this interpretation. But that's all Joseph was summoned to do. And as Joseph was submitted before God, recognized by the king, as Joseph walked by faith through his trial, he was placed perfectly in order to do this, used by God, used by God in God's timing. But there's more. He's proving himself to be faithful, and God wants to use this faithful man in his own way. Now, I need to make, as we go to our last point, the faithful is used by God, an abrupt just aside, because it parallels where Joseph's at. A long time ago, we preached through the book of Esther. Esther was also told to go before the king and to say something when the people of, uh, the the Hebrew people were going to basically be killed. And she's like, I can't do that. Like, if I go before the king unsummoned, 
he can have my head removed. But eventually she does speak in faith. And as we go into verse 33 next, Joseph's in the same situation. He's done what he's been told to do. He's interpreted the dream. Starting in verse 33 is something different. It's something that God is having him do beyond just a simple interpretation. So what does he do? Faithful to give God all the glory of what's being done, being carried along by God to continue. He continues beyond what was expected of him. These things are all set by God, shown to Pharaoh, mind you, not as a judgment, but as what's set, what's going to happen. And this is a gift. It's a gift that's being revealed to Pharaoh. And it's a gift that needs to be unpackaged. Unpackaged because it's, it's from God. And this can be challenging at times to present someone with a gift and show them how, what great worth it is and to unpackage it so that they see, like, this is really valuable, what God is revealing. To receive sound teaching from God's word is, is valuable. But to unpack it, to, to really look into it, can be difficult. Because sometimes we can sit there and say, well, yeah, that was, that was helpful. I'll jot a note down. I'm going to do that. But then inevitably, it's like, ah, I don't have time. And so we don't, we don't actually receive of the gift. We've heard it. It's, it's been unpackaged a little bit, but we don't put it into, into play. Joseph's being used by God to make sure that this gift, that these dreams get fully opened and unwrapped and presented to Pharaoh. So in verse 33, we see boldness. We see boldness, and boldness is characteristic of God's faithful followers throughout the scriptures. David was bold. David was a bold man who would speak to Saul. Saul would want to, like, kill him. And yet he would speak boldly and say, why would you do this? I'm just here to serve you. Nehemiah, another cupbearer, spoke boldly. I need to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. Before the king, he spoke boldly. Paul, we already talked about Paul. He, he spoke boldly to whoever came before him, it seemed, as we read the scriptures. So I admire these faithful saints in the scriptures, but it continues throughout church history. There are always those who are willing to be bold for the faith as God has them set up and use them throughout the ages, subjecting themselves to hardship at times, but being faithful to where God has put them. Verse 33 is bold because it's unsolicited. Unsolicited by Pharaoh, but prompted by God. Joseph the prisoner, still sentenced to be in prison, standing there before Pharaoh in clean clothes and with a fresh shave, launches into telling Pharaoh what he must do. Okay, that's why it's so bold. He unpackages this gift in all of its goodness, so it can be seen. So let's see what it says in verse 33 through 36. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve 
for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This is bold. He just says, that was the interpretation, but now, Pharaoh, you have some work to do. But there's something here that is a very good application, and it's this, he starts out with, select a wise and discerning man and place him over all these things that are about to happen. And this is a pattern. It's a pattern that we want to see flourish within our community. Think of the young ladies here that might be looking for a husband. Like You want a wise man to be joined with in life. Or the church, it's clear that God says in his instructions for setting up the church that you want wise men that are going to fulfill the leadership roles within the church. And we see that in any leadership role. You want someone who's wise and discerning to be there. So we can't discount the value of that application. This is Joseph just not holding back in this this last couple verses of chapter 41. He is the Lord's faithful. And it is just for this time that God is using him. From the pit into the presence of the king, he's fully submitted to God. And Joseph has walked by faith through every trial. In doing so, the trial that is there before him right then doesn't just vanish, but it focuses him into what he's supposed to do at that time. And he does so. He does it faithfully. The habit of his mind is always a reference to God, and so that's where he always turns to. As we wrap up our time in the Word together, as I was coursing through this passage over and over again, preparing to preach today, I couldn't escape uh, one section of Scripture in particular, which was Psalm 84, verse 10 which says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. That was what God really was impressing upon me. The Spirit was just impressing upon me. It's better to be in the, in the, the courts of the Lord for one day than a thousand elsewhere. You see, Joseph was in a pit and then he was put in the opulence, in, the, in this probably very ornate place, in the presence of Pharaoh. What a stark contrast. More starkly contrasted than the, the gaunt, ugly cows and the beautiful, plump cows that were in Pharaoh's dream. But what is it that's motivating Joseph here in this environment, where he's standing? Is it, wow, I finally got my ticket. I'm before the big man. I can ask him to show me favor and get me out of prison. I'll do anything. That's not what motivates him. He knows the only reason he's there is because God has him there. So he's going to remain true to what he knows best. He's going to be faithful. He's going to deliver what God places upon him to deliver. He's going to walk by faith. He's going to be fully submitted to God We see this most clearly in Jesus himself. Jesus, the perfectly faithful one. He came to the very people that he created. Christ, being very God of very God, the same in substance with the Father, 
and of the Holy Spirit, yet submitted to the Father's will, he humbled himself and he came to us. He came to earth and died for our sins unjustly. He came. He submitted himself to the cross of Calvary, subjecting himself to all the pain and humiliation of a human death, the death of a criminal. All the sins of mankind from from all the way past to all the way forward were brought and, and placed upon him. And he took those. And he took them to the grave. And he, he was victorious over all the consequences of sin. He defeated our foe, Satan. He defeated our foe, death. He removed the sting of those things because he made atonement with his own precious blood for us. And this was acceptable to the Father. Jesus was submitted to God and the Father, and he walked perfectly in faith and in obedience through the harshest trial of all time, receiving the wrath of God upon him. And he came out the other side victorious, conquering our enemy fully. And if you have never known the freedom that we've, we're talking about today with Joseph, having the freedom to speak as God led him, if you have never known of the freedom of realizing your sin has been atoned for, you have been set free from hell. If you've never known that freedom, then you've never met Jesus. And I would encourage you to, to talk with someone here before you leave and to find out more about what it means to be fully submitted to God and to walk by faith through every trial, knowing that Jesus has gone before you and has paved the way perfectly. Because once you do that, my friends, you'll have peace in your life, a peace that is not able to be explained by anything other than a work of God, a peace that's beyond understanding, a peace that if you do not have, once again, I urge you, seek out someone that can share more about that from what we've seen here today, from this passage. Submit yourself to God Submit yourself to Christ because it's through his blood that you have been set free to walk the remainder of your days in faith no matter what trials might come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so gracious. I I love that your word reveals more about you from the very beginning as we started in Genesis 1 to the end. And we can't get enough of you, Lord, and and we never will. We will spend all of eternity continuing to, to search you out and to know you better and better and to worship you in spirit and in truth. And our heart cry has been that that is what would be taking place today with the word open, with our hearts laid bare before you that you would be drawing us along into a a deeper understanding of the way you work, the way you work through trials, that when we submit ourselves to you, we can trust that even in the trials that you will have your hand upon us, that pain may come, but your will will be done. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for Christ, our Savior. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.